Uh, there's been some real trouble out there. We've been having trouble coping with it. Um, and it led me to think, and this sort of started back when there was that huge snowstorm in Vancouver uh, in early December that really clogged the whole city shut down. Now, that's not unexpected. That's what happens in Vancouver when there's a huge snowstorm. But there was just a lot of complaining about it. And a lot of people really surprised and upset, even though there'd been kind of warnings out there saying, listen, it's going to be bad, you know, be prepared. And still there was chaos. And we've seen the same thing happen this past week. I mean, there were there was lots of warning out there that this storm was coming and that it would be big and it would be bad, a storm of the, storm of the century kind of uh, talk going on. And yet it still created all this chaos. And it's a reminder of just how extreme, extreme weather events have become. Um, you know, we're seeing shifts in the rain and snow patterns that we experience every day. And it means often that the storms that we do see are more frequent and they're more severe when they are the more severe storms are more, more frequent. We often hear the term that, you know, once in a century storms become once in a decade storms. We saw it with the flooding in BC. We saw it with Fiona, uh, over the, uh, last summer, late summer in, uh, the, in the Eastern Canada. But are we ready? That's the big question. Are we ready for what's coming? We've seen what's happened in Buffalo, another unprecedented snowstorm, you know, one for the ages, but there was lots of warning. Um, they have all these tools now that we didn't have before, better communication, social media, phones, the whole bit. They didn't have those back in 77 and 85, back when the previous big blizzards hit that city. And yet there were still deaths this time. People still got caught out. So are we ready uh, for what awaits? Are we ready for what we're already facing? Uh, in terms of emergency preparedness, do we have everything we need? Joining me now with more on that is Jean Slick. She's a program head and associate professor in disaster and emergency management graduate programs at Royal Roads University here in Victoria, where I am. Thank you so much for your time tonight, Jean. Uh, thank you for having me, Ben. So this was a really interesting question because I think it, at, when I first contacted you, you, you were away, but it goes back quite a while to that big snowstorm in Vancouver. And it's just been worse since, right? As someone in your shoes, what are you seeing? It must be, is it cause for concern? Well, it's an interesting question that you pose about are we prepared? So I would say on one hand, yes, and on one hand, no. So um, certainly we do know that people are generally prepared to cope with some kinds of disruptions in their lives um, with snow, some snowstorms, things like that. But in terms of the percentage of the population that's really prepared to deal with an emergency, you know, a serious disruption, about half the population has an emergency kit and says they've taken those kind of actions. Um, research has shown that actually Canadians are more aware of winter storms and being prepared for winter storms. And one of the things that they're less prepared for uh, is, is things like heat waves that we've experienced, but also differs depending on the nature of the hazard. Yeah, when you look at one of the things that strikes me, and and this was this goes to I mean Buffalo isn't in Canada, but it could be. It's close enough. Is that it? And and I, you know I was here for the heat dome in BC uh, a lot a few years back. It's that the we're not you know the weather that we used to think we were used to that we thought we were prepared for seems to have gotten just a little bit more extreme, and that we're not like we're prepared for heat, but not the heat dome. We're prepared for bad snow, but not the kind of snow that we've seen of late, it feels like the extreme weather is where we're getting caught out because we're used to being, we think we can handle it and we can't. That's correct. And so uh, certainly it is the extremes that are problematic for us. So extremes with snow, extremes with storms, extremes with flood, um, extremes with heat. And, but that's what we really want people to be prepared for, right? It's like we need to be prepared for those things that are not 
within our normal um, scope of experience. And and even though the events in Buffalo are outside the country, there's a benefit of seeing uh, this, you know, because of social media and reporting for us to be able to see the kind of events and what can happen. And that helps us to think about what we need to do at home, uh, both individually and collectively in communities to be prepared. When you look at how um, emergency response is coordinated and governed, I know when you know, some of the big things hit, you know, I think of the fires in Fort McMurray and so on. Uh, but it seems these days that there's still a real patchwork out there when it comes to response. That's part of the problem they're having. Again, Buffalo is not is not Canada, but they're, one of the problems they're having is there's a lot of finger pointing going on already between municipal and state and so forth. And we see the same thing in Canada when there's big problems between the provinces and the cities. Uh, when it comes to even Vancouver, when it came to who is supposed to clear the snow, right? Like who is supposed to, who's in charge? Have we figured that out in a, in a coordinated enough way these days so that it's effective or it feels like it's still really a work in progress? Well, we know who is in charge from a legal perspective. We know that, you know, within Canada, the delegation of responsibility for looking after uh, major emergencies and disasters is the provinces. And in turn, they they delegate that responsibility down to local governments and First Nations. The challenge, though, in that space is that different jurisdictions have different capacities. And the hazards, the things that impact us, don't actually follow the boundaries of jurisdictions so you know when we get when we have floods or we have fires they cross jurisdictions and so that's where you then need to move into this coordinated um, action and we can actually see that there are different capacities and and in some situations you've had events that have crossed um, provincial borders so you might have you know when we had ice storms uh, a long while ago in Ontario and Quebec. And so you have governments offering different kinds of assistance, even though it's the same event and people are impacted in a similar way. So there is some kind of, of impact in that. But there, are, but generally, um, jurisdictions that are larger are going to have more resources and more capacity, both to plan for, prepare, and respond to. But even still, those jurisdictions, it, it comes down to a matter of what's the consequence of the particular hazard and what's the capacity to respond. And at a certain point, there's going to be a threshold that's impacted. And then with situations like Buffalo um, or uh, other events, you have the local responders who are also impacted by an event. So if you're not able to protect them, um, then they're also having to cope with the event while trying to respond. And that just further compounds the situation. When we look at preparedness these days, because it is sort of the, not, it's not quite the opposite of response, but it's, it's sort of trying to mitigate some of that risk. Um, I know that it can often be expensive to prepare for something that may never come, but it feels like governments are becoming more aware now of the fact that being ready, that there, you know, that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure these days, at least. It, I get the sense. Is, is that, is that true? Yes, certainly. We know that investments in preparedness save lives. We know that um, efforts to mitigate risk related to floods and fires, as an example, um, will save costs down the road. The challenge is is to put the money into those preparedness efforts or mitigation efforts. You know, it's a choice that we're making in society about making those investments now to save lives and save dollars later versus competing agendas related to health or education. So, you know, yeah, we need to spend more to, um, in terms of preparedness, most certainly. There, there's no question about that. 
Um, but preparedness is across different levels too, right? So we want people individually to be prepared. And the more prepared they are to look after themselves and their households, then the better a community is able to cope. Yeah, that's one of the things that I noticed too. I, going back to the Vancouver example with that big uh, dump of snow uh, a while back was that there seems to be this this tendency for people, even in this country, to sort of throw up their arms and say, where's the help? And you're thinking, well... There is no help. Like, this is it. You know, I've been in countries where they're, you know, hit by disasters. And one of the things you notice very quickly is just how little help there actually is. And I think sometimes in Canada, we forget that. And then when disaster strikes, everyone sort of throws up their arms and looks for someone to blame about why, you know, why the roads weren't cleared fast enough or so on. When I I think you mentioned this already, a lot of it comes down to personal responsibility to a certain extent. I mean, we want to rely on governments to do, you know, to do what they're supposed to do. But a lot of it comes down to personal responsibility as well in these in these situations. It it does. And it's also just a reminder that there are some times when we're not going to be able to continue with our lives in the normal way and they are going to be disrupted. And so what what do we have? How can we prepare ourselves to effectively cope with the impacts? And it depends on our, you know, place in society and where we live and the and the nature of the hazard. Um, but it's also about our awareness of the particular risk. So if we, you know, go back to some of the heat dome events, um, I think many people were surprised, including governments and individuals. Um, But in fact, you know, increase of heat extremes is something that we've known that we could prepare for. But bring us back more to the more recent events uh, as snow events on the West Coast, as an example, which are which can happen, but are but are infrequent. There are going to be periods of time when we need to be able to be self-sustaining. And so hence, that's that rule of thumb that you need to be able to look after yourself for at least 72 hours and, and to be self-sufficient in that regard. One of the things you were talking about earlier, Jean, was just, um, you know, needing to be ready, needing, needing to be prepared. Only about half of us, I guess, you know, out here in BC, because there's the earthquake threat, of course, uh, there's a lot of talk about being ready for disaster. But uh, I guess that message doesn't get through to everybody. What should we be doing? Well, the, the first thing is knowing about the hazards that are that affect could affect you in the place in which you live. So, the what you need to be ready for um, on the west coast will differ than if you're in Manitoba or in Ottawa or in Halifax. So, it's really understanding what the particular hazards are, and then thinking through what the consequences of those hazards are. So, if you're in a place that has uh, winter storms. You know, as we've been seeing now, then one of the big challenges there is, you know, the power's out. So do you have an alternative source of power um, or how will you stay warm? And so in some situations where, when you have extreme uh, cold and you have extended power outages, you'll have heating centers, places where people can go to stay warm. But the challenge is then is, you know, do you have people access um, to those kinds of uh, facilities. So it comes back to thinking about what are the particular hazards and then what do you need to do? There's some common things, of course, that we ask people to um, do to be prepared. Um, and that is in terms of, you know, having access to important documents, contact numbers, basic emergency kit. Some of the things that we we talk about, so if you think about extended power outage that we're, people are dealing with now, um, you know, it's either a wind-up or battery-operated radio, but more often people are relying on their cells. So it's really about, you know, 
is there, do you have a battery backup for a cell? How long can you keep your cell phone running when you don't have um, access to power? So ensuring that you've got the resources to um, cope with those impacts and disruptions. And it will differ because people who have medical conditions are going to have specific needs. People with um, young children will have other needs. So it's really around thinking about the particular hazard and the consequence. And then what do you need to be able to survive in that situation for, and I'm going to say at least 72 hours. I think the 72 hour guideline um, should be seen as a minimum, which is uh, a period of time before organized assistance can be more generally uh, available. Yeah. Buying time for everything to get organized, right? Um, mm-hmm. 72 yeah. hours seems about right. You know, what, what do we have at home? We have the, we have the earthquake kit, of course, because we're in Victoria, right? So it's right. water, it's power, it's power, it's food. Um, you know, you have to remember to, to replenish it. Uh, and the thing, of course, is that you may never use it, right? Which is, which is a good thing. That's true. But part of it is, is about, um, you know, if it's food and water, it's about having those things um, recycled. If it, it, and it's, Trying to ensure that the the things that you have are many of these things we can add to on an ongoing basis. And I think the pandemic was a good lesson for everyone in terms of having sufficient supplies on hand in, in the event of um, supply shortages. So it's around trying to build up supplies, but also to use those supplies on an ongoing basis. Right. Gene Slick, thank you so much for your time tonight and for uh, for indulging in this. I've, it's, this was just got me thinking with all that has been going on that, you know, are we prepared for, for big emergencies? And sometimes, uh, you know, when you, th- you see things like what happened in Vancouver or what's happened in Buffalo, you really realize how fragile it all is and how quickly everything can kind of fall apart on people and how ill-prepared we are for it sometimes. Yeah, and so taking these kinds of events and using them as an incentive to say, okay, you know, I, I wasn't prepared this time, but I will be next time. So it's, re- you know, t- if, you, if you don't have the things that you need uh, to cope with it, the situation, it's taking the action now. Yeah. Uh, Jean, thank you so much for your time and your advice tonight. Okay, thank you.